Captain Austin Podcast. To, uh, thank you, you know, for doing the show, man. Like I said, I'd cuck wind of you through John Valley, and, uh, you know, I love horror films, and I, you know, I saw that you guys were, you know, a local film production company here based out of, you know, Austin, and I was like, yeah, man, that's a guy. You, you've, I've kind of been prospecting you for a while, and I knew you were somebody <laughs> who I, like, wanted to have on, so, again, I appreciate you doing the show. No, my, my pleasure. Yeah, thanks. It's uh, it's hard to make movies in Austin, and I actually wish I could shoot more in Austin. You know, we we just we end up taking a lot of our Austin family and bringing them to different cities, you know, across North America because we don't have rebates in Texas to really justify some of the costs. But mm. any opportunity I can to shoot in Austin, uh, we do like Blood Relatives, uh, that movie, Noah Segan's directorial debut. We shot that in Austin, Scare Package One. But there's just wasn't enough. And I just I wish there could be more because I love love the city. Yeah, if you don't mind, actually, I'd love to maybe have you kind of elaborate on that a little bit. I'm, that sparks my curiosity before, uh, you know, I was going to ask you a little bit about your backstory. But while we're already on the subject, I'd love to hear a little bit more about kind of the red tape in that, if you don't mind. Uh, I'm curious why yeah. not rebates and kind of some of the hurdles that you've had to deal with as an independent filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, there are some there are some tax incentives in Texas. They're just not as robust as other states. So, you know, we've made a couple productions in Oklahoma. So, you know, just driving five hours north, you go from something in Austin where or just in Texas in general, where we would have at most maybe 10 percent covered versus in Oklahoma, we would have 35 percent. So, you know, they're really paying you to go to these other states and, and make movies. The same with Louisiana, the same with New Mexico. So all these surrounding states are really, you know, paying independent films money. So you're making a million dollar film. You have 300 to 350,000 of it covered. That's a hard thing to, to say no to. You know, that's a hard yeah. thing to get away from. Not to mention the state of Texas also does not guarantee that even their small rebate a lot of times there's a lot of rumors of like, I don't know the validity of what fully happened, but Robert Rodriguez apparently didn't get his rebate on, I think one of the machete, one of the machete films because it didn't glorify Texas and it was too violent. So, you know, making horror films, I'm like, well, I'm definitely not making glorifying Texas movies. So whatever that's supposed to mean. <laughs> um, so, you know, this was a hard sell. So we just, we can't risk that. And, and it just becomes very difficult financially, you know, to kind of make happen. Um, the only times we've been able to make them is when we were fully funded by an outside source and they owned the rebate. So if they own the rebate as the distributor, then I can make that wherever I want. Cause I'm like, well, I'm not concerned about our tax incentives or our rebate. So yeah, it's really just a dollars, you know, dollars and cents kind of issue. And 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 when you're an indie film and you have to put all those dollars on the screen, you have to take advantage of that any opportunity you can. Yeah. Do you like as a small independent, and this is just kind of general curiosity, like, you know, do you have does your film have to meet a certain criteria and budget to even get a rebate? Like let's say you're just you know, some guy with his friends who's got a nice camera and you're gonna make shift a movie. I mean uh, I'm, I'm going to assume that there's got to be some qualifiers here to even be in that conversation. <laughs> yeah. No, there definitely are. And e each state is a little bit different. So I actually can't recall what it is in Texas, but I want to say it's probably around 250000 as your quote unquote in-state spend. But for example, in Oklahoma, it's 50000 you know, oh, so wow. you don't even have to spend nearly as much. So people can make really low budget $100,000 movies, you know, and still 
get themselves a 30% rebate, you know, so that $100,000 phone is only 70K. Now we haven't worked in those small of ranges in a while. You know, we make things that are, yeah, I think I'd say a floor is around 500,000. We're really kind of ticking over a million at this point. Um, but again, you know, that's just been through time. You know, we, we're at, with Paper Street, you know, my company, we're at about 20 feature films at this point. So, which mm-hmm. is crazy to even say out loud. Um, so, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, so it, it really kind of depends on a state by state basis for, for what's going on there. Yeah, no, that's interesting, man. I think, uh, you know, I certainly didn't know that. And I think there's probably some younger film aspiring filmmakers. I, I would assume that would probably want to know that information. Hell, if you can go to a place like Oklahoma, some of these more sparsely populated places, and if they're willing to pay for half your movie, why not? I mean, that's definitely something worth exploring. You got to come up with as many dollars as you can. And if there's more dollars by driving five hours, you're going to drive those five hours. Yeah, absolutely. Man, I I really I want to hear about your origin story a little bit and how you kind of got to the point where you were making movies. Um, Sure. I know that's really broad, but if you kind of want to give us sort of a a Cliff Notes version of it, um, I'd love to kind of hear how you got to this point. Yeah, I mean, look, I grew up thinking that this was not possible, right? I mean, I learned what a director was by seeing a book on Jaws. Jaws is my all-time favorite film. And I saw a picture of this guy with a megaphone and a hat. And I'm like, who's that? What's he doing? You know, and like, that's Steven Spielberg. He's the director. And he he's the one who makes all these decisions of what happens on a movie. He's like, holy shit, like, I want to do that. You know, that was really interesting to me. And but then I was told, yeah, but you can't do that because it's just not possible. And I was given all these statistics about how few people can make it in the industry. And I still know those very well. You know, there's more NFL football players than there are, you know, working directors. Right. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, so if you think of it from that perspective of like making it to the big leagues, that's really what this is about. So I had kind of put that aside for a, a long time, but I, I still was writing. It was still an interest of mine. I, I ended up going to film school you know, and, and thinking, okay, I'll just go to work crew, you know, I'll, I, if I can't make movies myself and I can't be the one that's, you know, holding the megaphone, so to say, then I'm going to be someone that, that, that has the megaphone. They're talking to me, you know, and I can at least be on a set. So I went to film school and, you know, did the film crew thing and was production coordinator, moved up to production manager, production assistant. I mean, I did, I didn't care what it was. You know, I, uh, I was fired by Michael Mann on the set of Ali, <laughs> you know, uh, when he thought that I was craft services and he flipped a table at me and I wasn't even craft services and I got fired. Um, you know, so I've had all these odd experiences working crew, but I, I still was really just hoping to make it as an actual, you know, filmmaker myself, like someone who was writing, directing, producing movies. And, you know, eventually I couldn't sustain and I kind of gave it up, you know, I wrote on the side, I got a job in tech. I worked in the video game world where I was kind of a quality assurance manager and a producer and game develop, you know, game developer manager. And that was a really good paycheck, but I just was missing something for, for the yeah. long time. And I was working with a company called Zynga and they brought me to Austin. I wanted to come to Austin because of the film community. I actually read and I think it was like movie maker magazine or whatever that it was like the best place to make movies i was like well that's where i want to be then and what year was this what year was uh, like 2011 okay so. So you've, been, you've been here a while then yeah good yeah. decade yeah good good solid decade at this point and and it was you know and i was like hey that's where people are telling me that independent films are getting made you know richard linklater's here 
you know, and Robert Rodriguez. And there's just some folks that, uh, you know, Jeff Nichols, you know, I really yeah. love Take Shelter at that time. So my judge, there, there's a, there's a, yeah, yeah, like small, like pretty prestigious group. So, but there was enough that it was recognizable. It was like something that was like, oh, okay, they're doing it. Maybe I can work my way up here. You know, there was that opportunity, but I still didn't even know what that meant. So, uh, but I had a good job in, in that I had a good salary and relatively flexible hours as I moved my way up in the game industry, working for Zynga, which is this company that makes like Farmville and Words with Friends and those types of mm, games. Yeah. And I, I was, you know, making a good salary and it was enough to where I could support funding some short films. I was like, you know what? I found three of my friends and that were former film students as well that were actually all working at Zynga. And I was like, guys, let's just go, let's just go make some shit. Like, and let's just see what happens. And we started making a couple short films that were not good at all. <laughs> and, uh, but then we made a couple that were okay. And then we made a couple that were good and just kind of worked our way up and, you know, Really, everything kind of broke for us when Zynga was trying to move me to the West Coast, uh, to San Francisco. And I was like, look, if I move to San Francisco, I'm never going to continue doing this. I had made like four or five short films. I was kind of feeling myself. I wanted to write a, a feature. I just didn't have the time yet to write one. And then and they said, or you can take a severance and you know, you can leave because you don't. they were closing down most of the Austin office at that time. A little bit of recession here in like 2012 and yeah. so i was like okay you know what i'm gonna take it i'm gonna take the recession i and, and i'm sorry i'm gonna take the uh uh you know their offer and sure. I took the money and i wrote a film called camera obscura and we sold that to nbc universal and you know i mean it took three years it was a long time coming there were a lot of ups and downs had the money money lost the money but but we got it and once i had that it kind of you know and that experience in itself was very difficult but once i kind of had a feature under my belt and built some really good relationships and kind of learned how the industry worked i was like we can do this like i really started to kind of believe that we could do this ourselves and we started producing and then it was off to the races from there yeah interesting man um so when you said uh like you think you said there was it three or four years around that time uh, was that was yeah. that from like inception as far as writing the screenplay to getting the film made was that it was a little longer than that we had a short film that was loosely based on called aperture mm -hmm. and you know it, it just that that became the sprawling short it wasn't short at all it was like 35 or 40 minutes and i was like oh my god what have we done here but i knew there was there was a story there that we could tell so that story had existed and we kind of had an idea for a feature i just hadn't actually put the pen to paper so to say at that time yeah. so i'd say probably a good six years is about how yeah. long it took to get that and i mean and look there were just we had the money it fell through i was going to make it you know three different times three different budget levels and then a last second effort you know we were able a movie was canceled for a company at the time there was a channel called chiller that was part of the NBC, kind of like with Sci-Fi USA and the NBC family. And yeah. Chiller was like the original Shutter, if you will. And I remember our, hearing about that. Are they even still around? I don't think. They no, are. no, they're no. Yeah, we yeah. we famously joke, famously, but we joke that we were the the movie that killed that killed Chiller. <laughs> um, so they went out of business when we finished the film. 
So that actually really hurt our release. So we didn't get the proper release. The movie kind of got lost in the shuffle. NBC at that time lost a lot of money on Tom Cruise's The Mummy. And our movie kind of got lost in the wash of that. Uh, I see. So it was kind of a, a very difficult time to release. And it also wasn't even my cut. I never released the version of the movie that I made and all this. And, you know, so there were some frustrations. But I, But it still showed us that we had the aptitude and and the drive that we could do this absolutely it it didn't go the way we wanted then that's when we made scare package which was okay screw this we're just going to raise the money ourselves we're going to do this you know for just a couple hundred grand we're going to figure this out we're going to work with our friends we're going to make an anthology version so that we can raise money as we're making it and then, and then if it doesn't work out then so be it i i gave my i gave it my best shot and we'll go from there and then that movie at the time was one of the top releases uh in Cheddar's history its first weekend and it has now spawned a sequel and really kind of kicked off her career from there yeah i know this is kind of a um a side question so i i have shutter right and by the way i watched scare package last night and i really enjoyed it um why so this confuses me sometimes because i've noticed this is that sometimes you'll they'll be like shutter originals but mm-hmm. You don't, they don't have the full catalog on the actual Shutter app. Like I couldn't find Scare Package on Shutter. Do you know why that is? Like, do they just kind of suppress certain things at certain times, and then kind of put them back out into the fold? Um, like I, I currently, I had to like order it off, like um, you know, like iTunes. So, do you know why? Like, it's not on Shutter at the moment. Do they kind of just cycle through their different? Like, you would just kind of assume by default that they'd have their entire Shutter library on the app, and I just always thought that was kind of odd. Yeah, I mean, I think there are some times where they will relicense something, so like it stays on there for a long period of time, and yeah. then they'll relicense it back out, you know, where they can make some side money, and then it comes back to the platform. So, not entirely certain, you know, it's 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 every movie is a little bit different, and how they it, it could be tied to they know that people are, are going to be watching Scare Package One because Scare Package Two is coming out. We just played at festivals. Yeah, and we're playing at a bunch of festivals, you know, here throughout the the fall, leading into the winter release. But uh, I don't know, maybe it's tied to that. But that could be a strategic play, you know, just knowing yeah. that's, that's kind of going on. But it it really depends, you know. They have the exclusives are films that didn't premiere first on Shutter, and then the originals premiere completely on Shutter as a start, and then exclusive yeah. means that's the streaming only on Shutter, so it won't be on Netflix or anything like that. Um, you know, but, uh, but the original is only on shutter at the start. Makes sense. Um, so paper street films, um, is the name of your company, correct? Uh, paper street pictures, paper street pictures, uh, excuse me. Um, so talk to me a little bit about that, man. You, you, you know, you make kind of a, a a boutique film production company. What's that process like? Cause I, I find that very fascinating. And I think a lot of young filmmakers out there would kind of would be curious too i mean that i think is just really i mean that's really pivotal to do something like that and so i'm just kind of curious to hear about what starting that company was like and kind of how you got got you know hit the ground running with that yeah i mean look there was a lot of learning on the fly you know and i think it was just we i knew that we kind of wanted to do our own thing you know and i just knew that no one was going to pay us to make movies, not at that time. So we had to create viability for ourselves. We had to say, 
we had to force people to take us notice. And I mean, I remember going, there's a thing called the American film market. It's in Santa Monica every November of a year. And it's, it's a kind of a dreadful place. It's just a lot of bad movies are there and they're just like desperately trying to get certain rights sold. And it's a weird kind of hustle space and a lot of people getting taken advantage of, but there also are a ton of distributors that are there making legitimate deals. And I just remember thinking, so if I go to this place, I can buy a badge and it was, it was expensive, but if I buy a badge and I go to this, even though I don't have a film for sale, I have films in development and everybody's telling me there's no way anyone's going to give you money while you're there. You have to be a known thing. I was like, but I can at least meet them. They're all going to be at these bars. They're all going to be at these parties. They're all going to be at this hotel for this, you know, these five days. I'm going to go there, you know, and, and I went, I went every year for, I think three or four years, um, you know, right up until right before the pandemic and that stretch, you know, really opened a lot of doors for me because I met people where I just said, Hey, you don't know me. Here's our slate of films. I'm not here to pitch you. I'm just here to introduce myself and talk to you about that. You're going to want to get to know me. And they just kind of thought like, oh, that's kind of bold, you know? And then I would have right. behind, you know, a little pamphlet of stuff. And then nothing happened the first year, truth to be told. But then the next year I came back and I had two of those film financed. And they're like, oh, that film came out. You actually made that. And I was like, yep, this one also is coming out, you know? And then the next year I had another film that was done. And, another, and, and so they saw like, whoa, this guy actually is getting these movies made. And I had kind of created these kind of casual you know, conversations that led to actual friendships. And a lot of these people that I met, you know, randomly in 2018 are some of the closest collaborators that I have right now for a lot of our films. And, you know, now it's reached a point where we've proven, because there were, there were films I remember telling them that we're going to make for this budget number. And they just were like, you can't make it for that. There's no way you're going to make this movie for less than that amount. And then I did make it and then it was successful and we sold it for more money and all our investors made money. And it was, there was just kind of this eye-opening experience there where it was, huh, so these guys are actually doing what they say they're going to do. And I think that mm. in the film industry, there's a lot of talk and we were just going to be people who were going to get shit done. And so I think that's really where it started. And, and I just immersed myself and then my team, Cameron Burns, Alex Euding, Sean Talley, Ashley Sneed, you know, now Farrell Rose, uh, you know, Zena Dixon, that we've kind of grown over the years. But everyone, you know, we're, we're paying attention to what's being bought and sold. We're, I'm, I'm constantly trying to learn anything and everything I can. And, you know, I, I just, we know what movies are being made. We're reading a ton of scripts. And, and I think we understand the business side of this, which was part of it because I, I had a creative, you know, uh, scratch the itch that I had to scratch, but I also have, I have a very, come from a very business minded background and my time in tech and games, I was a project manager, you know, so I'm, I'm facilitating all these different people coming together for a deadline under a budget. And that's really what producing is as well. So I kind of brought some of that similar approach and we do things a little differently than others do. And, and honestly, we make more movies than a lot of companies that are, you know, much larger than us, but it's because we have kind of a system for how we do it. And we are a little relentless and, <laughs> and uh, you know, work some crazy hours, but uh, you know, at the same time, it's, you know, getting to make movies. I just don't know how long that's going to last. So we just kind of 
kind of roll with it and, and take these waves, the good and the bad, you know, as long as we can. So it was a lot of trial and error, a lot of figuring stuff out. But uh, now that we're here, it's like, you know, taking this, this film family with you, you know, learning who these people are to trust, learning the ways to use your tax credits and rebates, trying to understand. Because I think so many filmmakers get so caught up in, here's the story I have to tell, but it's also a business and, and yeah. fiduciary duty that the secret to getting more movies made is just to get money back to the people who first invested. Then you can really dig into your creative options within those, within those budgets. But you know, that's, that's what we kind of had to do. And, and we've kind of found a real niche for ourselves to the point now where people come to us all the time with movies and even finance movies. And they just want us to produce them because they know that we can stretch the dollar well. And we have to turn them down all the time because we just, we don't have the bandwidth to even do as much as that people want. So it's really, we've kind of, you know, reverse engineered this like system and uh, you know, now people all come to us and it's, it's a wonderful place to be. Yeah. No, man, you said a few things there that I thought were really profound. You know, for one, I, you know, I definitely think your experience in the corporate world has definitely transcended well for you in the space. And um, there's something to be said about continuity and I think humility. I mean, you could argue that probably in any industry, but I, I, I thought what you said about just going back every year and just saying, hey, you don't know who I am. You know, I'm in, giving them your information like, yeah, it, you know, that's a bold thing to do, but I think people catch wind of that stuff. And then when they see you do it again and they see you show back up, it shows like, hey, man, this guy really like wants to work, you know, and I think I've heard there's an expression I heard one time and it always stuck with me is it's like people are more inclined to help people who are helping themselves. You know what I mean? It's like when you Completely. really show that in initiative and you're really just like head down and like working, I think people really notice that because like you said that's kind of how you cut through the bullshit you know and so yeah I, I think there's a lot to be said about that man yeah yeah no i mean i appreciate you saying that i do think that there's there is something to making your own luck we've been very lucky but we've made our own luck you know yeah and and you kind of have to grind for it you know yeah I mean, so much of this is just outlasting so many people who just like can't take the ups and downs and you know, the amount of like huge projects that I've almost had or things that have almost happened, I can either be down about those or I can just march forward, you know, and say, okay, is this, here's this. And, you know, and I mean, we have the biggest project we're ever going to do that looks like it's going to happen, you know, early next year. And, but, you know, I'm not, I'm just keeping my fingers crossed. I'm just trying to, you know, do our due diligence and stay focused. And if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. Uh, you know, we'll have something else that'll fall in line. We just have to know that we're ready to do the work because yeah. there's, just, there's so many people that want to be in. There's, you know, like we say, this is the NFL and there's a lot of tryouts and there's a lot of people talking a lot of big game about what they can or can't do. And I think, and even Austin, it kind of permeates Austin a little bit. There's a yeah. amount of people here who talk about movies and don't actually want to get them made. And we're here to, I'm just kind of, I got done with that very quickly. I was like, mm. no, we're just going to get them made. Like, we're just going to do this. And, you know, you can sit there for years trying to get your $5 million movie made, or you can make 10, $500,000 movies. And, you know, and I think 
I would rather just make 10, $500,000 movies than sit there and never get the $5 million movie. Absolutely. So, um, and don't get me wrong, we're moving up and taking those steps, but you just have to be strategic about it. You know, you have to be yeah. strategic about it. So it is a good community, but, but you know, that's here. And I, I love so many, so many local filmmakers, but there's, man, there's other filmmakers I know that I remember, you know, like, oh, you know, pitching me different projects and stuff, you know, five, six, seven, eight years ago. And they're not even in the industry anymore. They're not even, you know, they just, it just kind of beat them down and they just walked away. And yeah. it definitely beat us down too, but we kept getting back up, you know, maybe yeah. to a fault sometimes, but now we've kind of broken through. Yeah. I think there's something to be said about just the entertainment industry in general. I think everybody's threshold is kind of different when it comes to obstacles and potentially being told no. Um, I think there's yeah. something and, and hard work, right? Like you said, there's a lot of people. And I think this goes with any facet of the entertainment industry. I think there's a lot of people who kind of talk a lot, but when it really gets down to the nitty gritty and doing the work, um, that's kind of who you find out who's really about it and who's not. Yeah. You know? And it's, it's an approach to, you know, there's that every no is one step closer to a yes mentality that you kind of have to have. You For know? sure. Yeah. Yeah, Cause you're just going to get no's constantly Always. It's going to happen. And, and, and that's either going to motivate you or that's going to debilitate you. And don't get me wrong, you know, like as like a straight white guy, like I have a, a sense of privilege and things that have come my way because of that. But, but there's a lot of other people who are just like me and they're not getting things done. And I think now we're in a position where I'm able to help others, you know, and offer some folks who might not have some of the opportunities that we've created for ourselves and say, Hey, let me help you navigate this space you know, and find some ways to kind of move forward. But it's, um, you know, it's just, I, I, I talk with film students a lot. And I think one of the things I, you know, there's kind of like a trick question I would ask sometimes in film classes. And I would just say, you know, if you could do any other job other than being a filmmaker, like, what would it be? And if they hesitate or they have an answer, I just say, just go do that then. <laughs> you know, like just go do that. Cause it's a lot easier. You're going to be probably happier, but mm -hmm. if you can't answer that question and you're, you're like, this is what I have to do. Then you, you're already in the right mentality of, of where this needs to be. I, the last time I went to full sale in uh, Florida, uh, full sale university in Florida for film and entertainment business. And the last time I was there, one of my old professors, and I didn't even remember the story whatsoever, but he told me that on the first day of class, there were like a hundred people in this one, you know, this one lecture. And he said, you know, three of you stand up. And he's like, the other 97 of you, you're not going to make it. And he said that I, in the back of the room, stood up still. And I said, well, I'm going to be one of those still. Wow. In a very brazen way. I don't remember this whatsoever, but apparently everybody remembered it and they've talked about it. And, but, but it makes sense because that was my mentality. Like, I do remember thinking, well, I'm like, it, it didn't discourage me to hear what the percentages would be. It just mm -hmm. made me, okay, well, I'm just one of them. Like, that's it. Like, that was just the only, I had blinders on to that. And yeah. you have to have that in order to kind of make it. Yeah, dude, I have to, I think that's awesome. Because I think a lot of people really undermine that sometimes or don't realize that like, man, you know, I'm not a real um, uh, superstitious guy by any means, but there's something to be said about just like manifesting shit. It's like, you know what, I'm going to do this and I'm either going to do this or I'm going to die trying, you know, like oh, if it's that 100%. important to you, there's something to be said about that because those are the people 
that can take no an infinite amount of times and still try. And you kind of have to be a little crazy to work. You know what I mean? You got to You got to be a little crazy to do this shit. Sure. So, There's a little delusion. There's a little delusion. You, you have to believe it. But, you know, you have to be able to kind of smell your own bullshit at times, too. There's for sure. That you have to kind of realize, like, I'm not going to be able to just jump ahead and have all the I mean, I went to school. A kid that graduated with me was Adam Wingard. And he's directing, you know, Kong versus Godzilla and stuff now. And sometimes it can be like, well, I, I should be doing that. And that's just the raw mentality. It, it, it's, you know, that's an exception to the rule. And I'm just going to keep moving forward. And I'm not worried about what someone else is doing. I'm happy for him. And I'm happy for my friends who have more success. And I'm sure my other friends look at me in the same way. And I think it's just about you have to be on your path. Mm-hmm. And you can't let anyone divert you from that. Because if they can, they're going to do it, you know. For sure. And, because they want, I mean, everybody else wants in this thing. So it's, um, but you know, it's also, you get a little taste of something too. And it's so rewarding. I mean, yeah, God, it is a, you know, it, it's a drug. I mean, it just really is. I mean, when you, when you get to make something, cause as a kid, you know, watching these movies, they were my escape. Like when shit was not going right and my family was fighting, you know, my parents, I didn't have the best, um, there were some issues, we'll just say. And it, this was my way of kind of escaping that world and focusing on, you know, the movie. And it just took me out and I got to be in this different planet for, for a period of time. And that was a really wonderful experience. And like now when we make stuff, even in, you know, the smaller indie films that we're making, people are like, I watched this when I was sad, or this is what made me feel this way. And this is my, you know, comfort food film that we, you know, and what that means. And the fact that we've created that now is, and you sit, I mean, I just left London where we played a sequel. So I made a film, I got to make a sequel to it, which is ridiculous. And that it just played in London and the largest screen in the UK was an IMAX screen. And I'm sitting there in a theater listening to people laughing you know, and shrieking. And it's like, holy shit. Like this is it's why you do it, right? Feeling like in those the world. The moments why. Oh my God. It's everything. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just everything. And, you know, so to have those things, you'd kinda when when you're getting those no's and all that stuff happens, you're like, yeah, but I'm I'm gonna get back into that room again. I'm gonna get back in front of that screen again. And and what we're doing can actually matter to people. Like they need this. You know, I'm obviously biased, but, you know, film to me is kind of this, the most cumulative of these art forms because it's music, it's acting, it's artistry, it's photography, you know, all of these things coming together in one medium, you know, and, and, and I love all this. I love, I was a, you know, photographer in the past. I dabbled with it a little bit, at least, you know, never a great artist, but, you know, but like, and I love music and you know, for all those things to come together in such harmony, you know, and it's just something that literally every country in the world, it's such a huge factor for them. It's a huge escape for everyone. It's, uh, you know, I just feel really lucky to get to do it. So you kind of have to kind of keep that in mind, you know, that, yeah, that, you know, yeah, this is really annoying right now and this is frustrating, but you have a North Star of something that will last beyond your years, you know? that nobody can take away from the fact I'm not directed for feature films. 
nobody can take that away from me. Like those exist for all of eternity and they're out there unless it's like HBO max, I guess they could take it away, but you know, um, <laughs> but like they exist and someone 20 years from now is going to run into a movie I made or 50 years from now when I'm no longer alive and that, or maybe not, who knows. Um, and then that will still have resonance for someone potentially mm-hmm. is a really, really cool thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's why art is just, I think, the most powerful thing that we have in our existence is because it it lasts in perpetuity, you know? (laughs) Completely. Yeah, completely. um, Yeah. Um, You and I are pretty close in age, man. So, I mean, I, I, a lot of the things you said really resonated with me. And I, you know, in regards to like what film was like for you, I'm a huge fan of movies myself. And you and I kind of grew up in that era before the internet was really rendered and before social media. And it was like, films really were kind of like your way to escape. I mean, if you grew up in a lower middle class family like I did and you didn't really go on vacations, um, I would just get lost in movies, you know? And it was like, I watched movies all the time. Like I watched movies more than I watched TV. Oh, Oh, I mean, God, man, like my, so completely, I grew up in Indiana, lower middle class. My mom after school would have to do taxes. My grandmother did people's taxes. So during tax season, I would go to my grandmother's house directly after school and she weirdly got HBO for free. Um, and cause that would happen. Like the channel would come in and she'd never paid right. for it. And I would go into her guest bedroom. I would bring a VHS tape. I put it on the SVHS, like the extended, you know, version or whatever it was called SLP or whatever it was. And then I would record overnight and then I would come back in the next day and swap out the tapes. And then whatever was there, is the movies I would watch. And that's when they would play the horror films, you know, that's yeah, when they would play the R-rated stuff and everything. And, you know, and I was watching like A Clockwork Orange, you know, and Friday the 13th, you know, and and all this. And I was like, holy shit. And that really shaped so much of what I do now. But that was it. Like those, whatever showed up on those tapes was magic to me because I had no idea what was recorded the night before. I didn't know what was upcoming and it just, and my friends would come over. We would just crowd around the TV and hide it from my mom because I wasn't allowed to watch it. So we couldn't tell her what we were watching. I would have another fake VHS of like Wayne's World or something. That <laughs> pretend like we were watching. Nothing was in Ironically movie. enough, a great movie too, though. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> and the second one, by the way, pretty good. Yeah, um, yeah, sure. yeah, so we would just, you know, again, nothing wrong with walking, watching Wayne's World, but right. we would just like swap it real quick, you know? Yeah, for sure. Or pretend, put the box out, like that's what we were watching and just pause it. So that way my mom didn't know. And then my friends would be like, what are we watching? What's going to pop up? What what would be there? And that was such a magical experience. And I'm still kind of chasing that, I think, in some way, hoping that some kid is like on shutter, you know, scrolling through and finding the pale door scare package or whatever, you know. And I just think that's a really, you know, that's just, I don't know, that's it for me. That's just completely it for me. Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. And this is a great segue. I, I, I have a few more things I want to ask you, dude. And I, I don't, you know, I want to be conscious of your time, but I, I want to ask you a little bit about movies. So, um, how you mentioned Jaws earlier, which obviously is an iconic film, um, without you know, goes without saying. I, um, why horror movies and what were the ones growing up that like really did it for you? Like, Jaws aside, I'd love to just kind of hear because I am a huge horror um fan and so i want to hear a little bit more about that kind of what was the movie that just like you watched it and it, it, it that was the one you were just like i know you mentioned jaws but i kind of like to hear here like a few sure more. yeah yeah well honestly that that scenario with my grandmother 
you know, getting HBO, like those movies that popped up were really seminal to, to kind of my taste now. And I think Friday the 13th part four was one that I, that was the first Friday the 13th I saw. And that kind of blew me away and really scared me. But I think the one that really, well, I'll, I'll backtrack. So I wasn't allowed to watch horror films. I grew up in a very religious family. We weren't, you know, I mean, I had to sneak around to get a Smashing pumpkin CD that my mom found and she threw away. Like shit like that happened, you know? Yeah. And so horror films, I just didn't know what that experience could be like. And I remember going to watch Howard the Duck at a drive-in. Great and movie. It is great. But I, yeah. I sat in the, the sunroof of, and I had already seen it. Um, but I, I said I wanted to go a second time. And the real reason was because I knew the screen behind us at the drive-in was Nightmare on Elm Street. And I wanted to watch it. So I can't remember which one it was, uh, what year that was. But I I would sit up in the moonroof and I turned around and I watched from across the way. I watched Nightmare on Elm Street. And I remember having to turn back around constantly because it freaked me the fuck out. <laughs> and, and that was, so that was one experience. And I was like, whoa, there's something here. And then I started getting these tapes, you know, and watching them. And I think the one that really, we got um, Alien started, but then the tape ran out. And I only got to see the beginning of it. And I was like so tense and I really wanted to see more of the Alien. And I was like, what's going on? And I, I hadn't gotten that yet. And I was so desperate to see it. And I remember my good friend, Matt White, we were at the grocery store, which used to, you could rent videos of the grocery store back in the days in the eighties. And we earned, this might've been like 1990 almost, but either way we were, we were in line and I picked up a couple movies and we asked his dad, like, can we rent alien? And he's like, no, Aaron, your mom won't let you. And we just like begged him that typical scene, two kids like, come on, dad, come on. Come on. <laughs> and he let us do it. And I remember we got a tombstone pizza and we sat there, you know, like it with blankets right in front of the TV. And he's like, okay, I'm going to watch, but I'm going to sit in the back of the room. And if you get too scared, I'm turning it off. And I remember we, we were like, well, we can't turn around or show him how scared we are because if we do, he's going to turn off the movie. So <laughs> we had to like power through this. And I remember sitting there together we couldn't even eat the pizza. It just sat in front of us, just, just complete. I mean, I was shaking because it was so tense. And the end of that movie, just like her getting into the, the spacesuit and it's like crawling and, you know, just, it just messed yeah. me up. But I didn't know I could feel that way watching a movie. I didn't know it could be that exhilarating. So that really, just, just to double check, this was the first alien movie. The right? first like, alien, gotcha. yeah. Okay. The first, because yeah. the second one's, I love just as much as the first, but the second one's really an action film, you know, in For my sure. in so many ways. And Cameron just slayed that, but but that was like that really scared me. And then the other one was, and again, this is like you know what would happen. My friend Sean Talley, who's now a producer with me at Paper Street, he had a copy of Evil Dead Two, on somebody had recorded recorded version. And I, I just love the gore. I yeah. thought it was so funny. And I was like, whoa, 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 wait a second. So this is like a horror film, but it's also fun. Like, right. what was that? And then after that, I found, um, yeah, there were just, there were a couple others that kind of popped up. And I think it just showed me, or Dead Alive. I found Dead Alive. That's what it was. Peter Jackson's Dead Alive. Yeah. And I remember those two films were like, okay, this is, 
an entirely different thing. So like Nightmare on Elm Street scared me, Alien scared me, Jaws scared me, which is a horror film. It's a monster movie, you know? For sure. And then, but then these two really kind of shaped my taste. And anyone who watches Scare Package 1, Scare Package 2, and I'm about to make a movie called Demon Derby, those types of films, it, it really, I'm kind of chasing that Dead Alive, Evil Dead 2 vibe. You totally know, can see it so now much that there. Said that. Yeah, I just, I just think that that was the most fun I've ever had watching a movie. You know? Yeah. You know, and I, I, I've again another thing I'm still chasing ever since. Have you? Um, because I've had to do this with myself as I've gotten. Because you know, I, I, I did watch a lot of horror movies growing up. My mom, you know, didn't really censor a lot of the things that I watched. Um, and I think that, uh. So have you, because I've even had to do this myself because I only got exposed to like what was at the video rental store, right? And what's interesting is when you get older and I, this is one thing, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with streaming, but one thing I will say is it's really um, been a gateway for me to get exposed and be able to retrograde and see a lot of great 70s and 80s horror movies that I did not get an opportunity to see when I was young. Oh, man. I and mean, it's just so, it's really mind-blowing to me how vast the selection is, and it was completely unbeknownst to me at the time when I was, you know, 10, 11 years old. Um, what is your opinion of um, Dario Argento and just Italian Giallo in general? Have you had much opportunity to kind of dive into that subculture because i just recently kind of got into it in the last year and i've just been i've been obsessed with it i'm kind of curious if you've even had a chance to kind of because a lot of people haven't and i'm curious if you've had much exposure to it yeah yeah i mean like deep red and you know yeah. Suspiria and 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 i think uh blood and black lace um yeah. blood, blood and black lace is what's called there there's a i mean look we did a segment in scare package one that is all a, a, a giallo segment you know yeah um that's you know the the girls it's called girls not out of body and and you know we've even got a cable net killer you know that's like the the, the very, you know, the sweater kind of head killer, which is ex completely taken from, from Jello film. So, sure. you know, I, I just saw Dark Glasses, um, which is a new Shutter film. That's Dario Gento's latest, you know, that's out there. It, it, that was in London. And I mean, yeah, no, I love all the, I think I really, it, this that was much later. I think I started to explore the subgenres of horror much later i think the one that really got me most excited was kind of like the french extreme stuff that happened like in the later 90s and early okay. 2000s like i think that was a more influential piece for me but i do love i mean i love the use of the povs the you know the kind of um yeah. the, the crazy lighting the music cues. it's very hitchcock-esque to me and when oh, i my kind of you know back I guess, um, what would you call it? Kind of, you know, checking the lineage, so to speak, for lack of a better term. It, a lot of Dario stuff seems very influenced by Hitchcock. And I, I, yeah. I feel like he took the slasher genre and really catapulted it to a level that Hitchcock didn't. And maybe that's due because there's a little bit of a, a gap there as far as when their popularity came to surface. But um, yeah, man, I, I just, like I said, I, I kind of just got recently exposed to the Italian Giallo stuff. That was stuff that unfortunately... I just didn't wasn't privy to growing up and it's been awesome man like i watch some of the the giallo stuff and i'm like 
this kind of shitted on most of the slasher stuff America was putting out at the time. Oh, yeah, especially when you look at, like, the bird with the crystal plumage and stuff like that. Like, there's definitely a – there was – and that was that's a little more Hitchcockian, you know, of Argento style. There was definitely – a they just were more stylistic they just were yeah. they just they just kind of leaned into the camera movement was more dynamic and 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 keep in mind too in the 80s in particular which is where argento had kind of he made his mark in the 70s and then in the 80s was still like phenomena i think is really great argento right that came out then. but but in the 80s is really where horror had its heyday but then also where it started to regress you know, and if things were like, oh, this made some money. Now let's do 35 versions of this, you know, and it got a little schlocky. The final goal tropes kind of became, you know, a little too prevalent. It was a little too, you know, by numbers. But don't get me wrong. Still, some of those were m- some more influential films of my lifetime, but like Friday Number 4 and whatnot and, and some of this and a lot of these horror sequels. But there was still, you know, what was happening, you know, in Italian cinema, French cinema, you know, they were doing things different. And what's really cool now is I think a lot of people, especially that are in their 30s and older, really were influenced by, you know, and Wes Craven did a good job of like rebooting that with Scream. I think that was kind of like a reset moment for horror. Absolutely. Understanding the meta-ness of it and where that needs to go. But then I really, again, I think this like French extreme section, you know, really with like inside and murders and you know frontiers so um the i i haven't been exposed to a lot of the french stuff but a movie that came to mind just offhand when you mentioned that and and correct me if i'm wrong here like was high tension in that conversation yes Yes, that's that's french extreme so that's the only french extreme that i think i've actually seen which is an incredible film by the way but as soon as you said that, that's where my mind went. And no. that was kind of early 2000s. I think that came out like maybe 03, if I'm not mistaken. But that that's kind of where my mind went when you said that. Yeah, that is, uh, you know, how tension is one of the most popular of that era. And I think the ending still kind of bugs me a little bit, but I love the movie. I mean, the again, this was one of those films where they just pushed the extremeness if you will if it's a word of yeah. every extremity of this to like such a level of and the violence and i think murders and inside take that even further um but they just it was like wow you can go there you know you can really go there. there's a depravity in it that we were very afraid to do in the states you know nobody was yeah. able to take the risks that they were taking and in, in, in your opinion do you think french was gorier than a italian stuff because to what what i've been exposed to i feel like italians have kind of taken the the case in that conversation i'm curious it's a totally different kind of gore right so when you get into like fulci and stuff and all that that is gorier i mean there's more blood but it's a different it wasn't as realistic to me you know like you have like one of the most famous kills and i think it's zombie 2 which is like the the eye that's getting poked through the this wooden out of a door you know she's like looking at a door and this like long piece of wood that goes all painstakingly slowly through her eye and stuff like that is like holy shit gory and really in your face but it it kind of was always kind of playful to me like even the romero stuff you know yeah really gory but it was still kind of playful to me and the way they ripped everyone apart but don't get me wrong i mean it was there and you have things like cannibal holocaust and stuff like that that takes it in an entirely different direction that i don't think <laughs> yeah. is necessarily great but right but the thing is the french stuff was 
just it was it was visceral like it felt real you know mm. it just felt like like this was happening to you in that moment and i think we reacted to that a little bit with the torture porn phase of saw and you know the the hostels of the world and what happened there but you know didn't quite capture what the french were doing and i think even you know james and and you know and, and lee winnell would would even tell you that you know that that, that was there was definitely an influence in both ways you know because i think saw came out before even hot tension but right there was a, a cyclical thing here that was going on and i think everybody kind of understood where that was where that was heading but yeah i mean like the the subgenres of horror have always been it's interesting and, and now i think we have this really great culmination of like all these things that have come together you know the meta-ness that came out of scream the horror comedy stuff the gore the the dread you know that was there and like ari aster's like really become you know kind of like a master of dread um you know what jordan peele's doing i think we're in a very wonderful time in horror and it's really the last 10 years that i think it's just really kind of exploded um, yeah something really special you know it's it's interesting you said that man because that, that was going to be uh my next question was what is kind of your opinion of where the horror genre is at the moment because as a consumer, solely as a consumer, um, it feels oversaturated at times. Uh, mm-hmm. But then when what's interesting is when you kind of retrograde and go back, you could make an argument that horror was always kind of saturated because there was just tons of movies that even came out in the 80s and 90s that I'm still discovering to this day that it just seems endless. But uh, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are like it. And maybe maybe it's the streaming services that sort of exacerbated a little bit and make it seem like it's more saturated than it is. But um, I'm curious your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, it, no, it is more saturated. I mean, that, that's completely true. And, and that's because the film industry right now is more saturated because Boy. it is just easier to get a film made. You know, I mean, it's really hard, but anyone can make a movie with resources that they have. You know, they have a phone and things at their disposal that they can get things made. Um, so I think it's it's creating more filmmakers. There's more accessibility to become a filmmaker, and therefore there's becomes more films. Uh, but within that, I think, you know, there's two things. I mean, one, you know, there was a ton that happened in the 80s, 90s. But again, that was derivative. It was like Friday the 13th made so much money that we're just going to do this forever. You know, that's a yeah. very easy formula. There were a lot of companies that kind of, you know, pass these out but at the same time if you go back you know you trace this back even further you can go to hammer films and hammer was making all these films like these dracula stories with christopher lee and whatnot that were beautiful and wonderful but they realized they could make some money you know and they made a bunch of films too and you know so i think it's there's there's part of that business that kind of like gets you wrapped in but what's happening now that to me is really exciting is that because there are just horror is becoming more widespread and accepted as a, a you know a viable way of telling your stories and they're getting bigger budgets and because for the longest time and this still permeates you know like the academy quote unquote and some people you know like tony collette wasn't nominated for hereditary and she should have been it's one of the greatest performances of like the last decade in my opinion and that was she, she was the mom correct Correct, correct. Yeah, she did a great yeah. job. Phenomenal. She should have won, you know, she should have won best best actress. And and so there's things like this that kind of pop up and, and there's always been this weird narrative of elevated horror. And I, I really hate that. I hate the term because 
we're not elevating horror. Horror is just, we're making this. I mean, John Carpenter was making quote unquote elevated horror, you know, in the eighties. We're not doing that now. We're just, we're just, you know, we're not, we don't say that there's elevated drama. You don't say there's elevated comedy, right? And when you say like, elevated, what, what do you mean exactly in, in that context? Like, well, meaning what? It's, it's a term that the critics and people outside of the horror industry want to say, because when they see a horror film that's good, they say, oh, this is like, it's like a really smart, clever thought. I see what you're saying. It's almost like a dismissal or kind of a way to undermine it a little bit. Completely. It, completely. Yeah. It's calling them B movies, you know? And actually Scare Package 2 is all kind of about that. It's about the, the frustration with people calling it that and what that really means. And we take it in a comedic way. But, but yeah, you don't hear something and the term elevated horror is just something that has been, you know, circulated for a while now, or they sure. call it silence of the lambs. Like, no, that's just a psychological thriller. It's like, that's a horror film, you know, and we don't want to call it that, you know, I and see what you're like, saying. Yeah. It's psychological horror, but it's still horror. And I think because in the eighties and nineties, it was so derivative. And a lot of this was, you know, difficult for some people i mean there were some schlocky things let's be honest there were b movie versions of that that i think that has painted the idea of a horror film to so many people outside of the siskel and ebert world you know influenced from that you know in this generation so i think they still think of it that way but you know don't tell me that just because Jordan Peele's making these really smart horror films doesn't mean that we weren't always doing that. And if you talk to Romero and you look at Craven and you look at, you know, John Carpenter and, 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 you know, even really Toby Hooper, like this stuff was there already. It's been yeah. there this whole time. So, you know, I, I hate the term. I think it's slowly starting to kind of move away and people aren't calling it that anymore. They're just like, it's just a great movie and it happens to be horror. You know, and it's a great movie. It happens to be a drama. A great movie happens to be a comedy. Like all that stuff's fine, you know. And and so hopefully we're kind of reaching that point. But I do think you know there is there's too much out there that is completely true. So it's really hard to kind of like cut through, you know, and have things get seen. Like I mean, you interviewed John Valley. I think the Pizzagate Massacre is fantastic. I think it is great a movie. wonderful movie, and not enough people are seeing it. You know, I agree with you, man. Uh, that movie. What was so interesting to me about that movie is, is was kind of like this satirical rendition of what was going on in real time, mm -hmm. and I thought it was brilliant. And it was like that movie should have been uh, just—I I don't know, yeah, because I, I don't know the inner workings of the business, but I thought to myself like more people should be seeing this because it was 100%. so satirical, and I just thought like a brilliant kind of rendition of what really the kind of the temperature was like at the time you know and you could argue it still kind of is like that but oh my god if it's even yeah. worse now yeah i mean yeah. no completely completely and but there was a lot of people who were afraid of that movie you know and they didn't want to deal with the backlash they didn't want to deal with you know what this meant and you know so i i still kind of keep my fingers crossed and hope that that's going to find a second audience you know that it's now on amazon prime so it's getting a little uptick in the past few months. So I'm kind of hoping that maybe it can kind of catch on there. But, but yeah, you know, it's hard. You know, it's just it's yeah. really really hard. I mean, we've we've gotten better as a company in kind of knowing where to position it. You know, and how to position these films and and what steps you need to take to to better your chances of this because uh, it's hard. Um, yeah. But that just took 
you know, that there were some bumps and bruises along the way to figure out what that method needed to be. Yeah, for sure. Aaron, I, I know this ran long. I appreciate your time, man. And I could have talked to you probably for another two hours. Um, I'll leave it with this. What I know you said Scare Package 2 is coming out soon, um, which congrats on that, by the way. And congrats on all the success just in general. But uh, what's kind of what's what's coming down the pipeline, man? Anything you want to maybe just kind of shout out or, or, you know, maybe tell anybody listening to kind of look out for or anything maybe you want to make mention of? Sure. I mean, look, we have we have a lot of movies that are releasing here soon. So we have Old Man starring Stephen Lang, that Lucky McKee directed that we produced. Uh, really proud of that film. That's coming out October 14th in theaters and VOD, um, also on AMC+. We have Blood Relatives, which is Noah Segan's directorial debut from, from Knives Out, Knives Out 2. Um, that's his movie with Josh Rubin um, and Victoria Morales. It's just a wonderful kind of like vampire road trip, <laughs> dark comedy that's coming out. Uh, we have The Artifice Girl, which won Best International Feature at Fantasia. That's a really smart sci-fi thriller from Franklin Rich. Uh, and then, you know, we have Sorry About the Demon, which is Emily Higgins, who's uh, you know Austin royalty. She made her first feature when she was 12 years old. Mm. And they made a documentary about her called Zombie Girl. And she's just a wonderkin. And... So we're really excited about that film, which is coming out. And all of these have played at a number of festivals, you know, over the past few months. And um, and then My Baby is Scare Package 2. That's just a, you know, it's actually the lowest budget of all of those. But it's it's the one that, you know, I put the most time and effort in uh, personally. And I directed um, the majority of that film. And uh, that'll come out. Uh, it'll be public soon. It'll be in December. And then, you know, I am off to direct my next feature early next year. And then we've got a couple other things in the, in the works that are, can't quite say yet, but are, uh, it would be, you know, borderline life-changing type projects. So we'll see what those end up being. But uh, yeah, you know, I mean, there's a lot, you know, we got a lot of movies coming. Um, oh, there's Trim Season. It's another one. Um, it's mm. kind of a witchy weed <laughs> film, if you will. Um with Alex Esso from Midnight Mass and Bex Taylor Klaus and Beth Million. It's just, you know, so we made a lot and uh, been very, very busy over the last 18 months. And all these films are coming out, you know, month over month here over the next year. So that's really exciting. And and I, I can't wait to see audiences connect with those. And, you know, and then what's going to happen? We're trying to leave a little bit of our slate open because we know when all these films drop, you know, different opportunities are going to come our way. So we're putting them out there. But um, yeah, you know, look, I, I appreciate you having me on. It's, uh, you know, fun to, to talk, especially that's an Austin-centric thing. I think that's really cool. And yeah, um, thanks for the support and the kind words about what Yeah, we're man, absolutely. And I'll definitely, you know, I'm going to be following your career pretty closely going forward. And again, man, it's super inspiring. And, uh, you know, I just love, I love seeing it. So best of luck to you. And, and thanks again. Yeah, no, thank you so much. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Yeah, take care, Aaron. Thank you. My pleasure. Bye. Trapped in Austin Podcast.